Tonight we're going to talk about misunderstandings about prosperity. So this ought to bring some light to all of us. We've been teaching a series, and this is the third week, on prosperity on Wednesday night. Getting the truth about prosperity. God wants his people prospering. Amen? He wants us prospering, and so we're learning how. Amen? Praise God, I tell you, he wants you prospering, and sometimes you just need a little more light to get there. Amen? And so we're getting that light. Now, tonight we're talking about the misunderstandings about prosperity because in the body of Christ, in the religious world, there's been some misunderstandings about prosperity. Would y'all agree? I tell you what, there is persecution of all the doctrines of the Word of God. There is more persecution for prosperity than any other doctrine. Even more than, I think, than tongues. And there was some persecution for tongues, you know. But I believe more than even the persecution for tongues, there's a persecution for prosperity. The devil hates for Christians to have money. For, for especially spirit-filled, born-again, giving it to God, prospering for the gospel's sake. He hates for them to have money, and so he brings persecution. And the persecution sometimes comes because people are jealous. You start prospering, and there's some people going to be jealous. You might as well get ready for it. Then also sometimes it comes because of pride. Some people have sort of a pride in a, a pride in not prospering. Amen. They have a pride in in, in uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of nearly like a revert. You'd think that people that had a lot of money would have pride. A lot of people that don't have money have a lot of pride. You know, and they nearly have, well, I've heard people say things, even recently, now not that long ago, I heard people say things like, well, you know, it, at least it's paid for. And having a pride in having something that's worthless, but it's paid for. Or something, you know, you can have an old stinking pride and have an old car that won't run, and well, but bless God. And you know, even saying, even being critical of other people, saying, well, yeah, I bet they got a big payment on that. Well, I tell you right now, yeah, we do. You don't have to wonder. I'll tell you up front. Yeah, we do. But you know what? You got faith for it. You listen. It, it's it, what you. What are you satisfied? If you're not sa if you're satisfied, we're satisfied. But if you're not satisfied and you don't have dependability, where you can, you need something you can depend on. And if you're not satisfied, then God's not satisfied. Amen. And we're not satisfied for you if you're not satisfied. But if you're satisfied, we're satisfied. Amen. Praise God. And sometimes there's more faith in making a payment than saying, oh, it's, pay it's paid for. It may not run, but it's paid for. Oh, I mean, I got faith for my payment. Amen. Praise God. And then sometimes people persecute out of fear. So, uh, but I tell you what, we should never let persecution keep us from being a doer of the Word. Now, if you're in this church, you didn't let persecution keep you from speaking in tongues. And don't let persecution stop you from prospering or cause you to back up. Sometimes we get kind of a apologetic about our prosperity. And we like, well, you know, I wonder what people are going to think if we do that. wonder if I wear that to church what people will think. If you've ever had that thought, cast it down. Prosper. And what they think, let them think what they want to think. Amen. Praise God. Maybe they'll think I'll see what they're doing and I'll start doing what they're doing. Because God is no respecter of person. Amen. We're going to find that out tonight. And so uh, we don't ever let persecution keep us uh, from being a doer of the word. Persecution, besides all that, is usually just limited to name calling. You know, they, you know, and this is some of the misunderstandings we're going to talk. You know, they've called us the name it and claim it bunch, the blab it and grab it, and the, you know, the health, the health and wealth gospel. Well, hallelujah, that's what we are. Hallelujah, health and wealth. That is what we are. I'm telling you, thank you, Jesus. The people that are against the health and wealth gospel, they go to the doctor every week trying to get that health. Amen. 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 Praise God. But we know where it comes from, don't we? Amen. So here's some of the misunderstandings. One of them was, and I'm just going to give them to you like number one and so forth, comment on each one. We're going to read some scriptures. And so here's one. Did Jesus warn against serving both God and money? We're going to find out the answer to that by turning to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Did Jesus warn us about serving both God and money? And the answer to that is yes. So let's find out what he was saying. Matthew 6, verse 24. Let's, set, let's let the Lord shed some light on this. 
It says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Or we know that means money, that word mammon. Um, you know what this is talking about here is you can't bow to both. You can't let money be Lord, because if money's Lord, God won't be. Amen? you got to make God Lord and make money bow. Amen? And that's what it's talking about. It's talking about serving here. It's talking about trusting. You can't put your trust, you can't bow down to money and put your trust in money. Amen? Let me ask you some questions. Can money save you? I'm talking from eternal hell. Can money save you? No. Can money heal you? No. No. Can money uh, deliver you from demonic oppression? No. It cannot. Money, can money heal relationships? No. I mean, not true healing. It might kind of salve it over for a while. You could pay somebody off and salve it over, but long term, money won't heal a relationship, will it? So we've got to straighten out who we serve, don't we? And we can't bow to money and bow to God. And I'm telling you, in, even in the, in the church, in you, as you prosper, there's going to be opportunities to make choices. There's going to be opportunity, especially you businessmen, there's going to be opportunity to make choices. Satan will present you opportunities to make a choice between money and between God. And you, you've, got to tra- you've, got to, you've got to choose God. You've got to choose God. There's going to be opportunities between, well, yeah, but I'm going to lose this contract if I don't work this Sunday. Right there. You've got to decide, don't you? Amen. Praise God. And uh, there's just really, you know it as clear as a bell, there's really just one decision, isn't there? I'm telling you, God will always make it up to you. He will always work it out. A lot of times you end up, that's just, a lot of times that's just the enemy's threat. You don't end up losing anything. When you decide to honor God, God changes the situation. He changes the heart of the people. He changes things. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Okay, so go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's read this verse while we're on, on this one. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17. Now we're going to look at this scripture again tonight so we won't spend a long time on it because we're going to look at it under another misunderstanding of prosperity. Hallelujah. I tell you what, when the speaker's cold, it's flat cold in a place. I'm cold standing up here just teaching. And usually I'm on, you know, so when, when the speaker's cold, let me tell you, it is cold. So, so I know everybody's going, it is cold in here. I mean, I'm standing up here, my feet are cold, my hands are cold. <laughs> okay, verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. Riches are an uncertain thing to trust in, aren't they? And we're not supposed to be trusting in uncertain riches. So you, can, um, you can't love God, you can't love and trust God, and at the same time love and trust money. Amen? It's one or the other. Now that we're not talking about having money, we're talking about putting your trust in it. Amen? Keeping that money in perspective. Listen, this is one of the most foundational and important things about prospering. You've got to get this part right. And God's proving you in the little things. He's proving you. He's, he's proving you. He's waiting. He's watching to see if you're faithful over a little. Those that are faithful over a little are made master and ruler over much. And he's proving you in this. He's watching how you react. He's watching what you do when you've got $10 in your pocket. Because you know what? It's just as easy to love money when you've got $10 as it is to love it when you've got $10 million. You say, yeah, but there's more to love. And, that, <laughs> and that's true. There's more to love. But you can, you can love and, and put your trust in $10. You know, when, God, when you've got $10 and that's all you've got, and God says give it, you've got to decide, am I going to trust that 10 Well, let me tell you something. If you're trusting in 10 you're trusting in something. But, but I'm telling you, there's a temptation to say, oh, yeah, but what if? And what if? And you know, and mm. I know because I've been there through that whole wrestling match. I've wrestled with the Lord over $5 before. 
And you have too, probably. And you know, here's something, while I'm on it, just came up in my heart. Some people are so afraid they're going to miss God. And God will say, I want you to give that person $10. Well, you know, I'm not sure if this is God, and I just don't know. And, and you know, I'm just, and they just might wrestle and wrestle. Listen, it is just $10. The worst thing that can happen if you missed him is that he can just bless you because you gave. And we just wrestle over $10. And some of you have done that. Some of you kind of got an unction and talked yourself flat out of giving $10. And, 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 you, and, you, and, you, and you and you everyone in, agree, in this room would agree, $10, that's nothing. We never even missed $10. But why would, we, why would we even wrestle over it? The worst thing that can happen is get blessed. God does not, when you give $10 and he says, well, you know, that really wasn't me. That was really just their, the, well, I don't know how it could not be God. But if the devil did speak to you and give you $10, you still get the harvest. I don't think he would. The only time the devil speaks to you to give 10 when God said give 20. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, number two. Is money the root of all evil? We need to answer that question because a lot of people in the body of Christ believe that money is the root of all evil. Let me just ask you up front. Is money the root of all evil? No, no y'all are very smart. Turn to 1 Timothy. You're right there. Chapter 6. Oh, we're right there, aren't we? Verse 8. We're going to read down through here now, though. Read more verses. Now, I'm going to start up in verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Now that means you can't take it with you. So y'all all agree on that? Amen. Amen. Okay. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Now a lot of people just get really bum-fuzzled on this one. Because they say, well, God said for us to just be content with food and clothes. That's all we were to be content. Listen. If you don't have food, it is impossible for you to be content. It is impossible for a man whose belly is empty to be content. It is impossible for a person who does not have shoes to wear to be content. I mean, in our society. Now, if you live in the society that they all go barefooted, you might be content. But if you do not have food and clothes, it is impossible to be content. God's not talking about here, though, not be using your faith. He's talking about for you to be at peace. He says, if you have food and clothing, then be at peace. Don't be walking through your days just being dissatisfied and hating life. And, and, and we just don't have nothing. And, and if we just had more, and I just hate this old house, and I just hate this old car. And I just, he said, if you've got food and clothing, you be at peace. Amen. You use your faith, you use your faith to get better. You use your faith to get more. He's not talking about being satisfied here, but he's talking about being at peace and having a thankful heart and being, you know, and just, and God, you know, and having a happy day. If you've got food and clothing, you ought not to have an unhappy day. Amen. Amen. And how many of us have ever got mad and disgruntled and we just really weren't practicing this because, well, I'm just, you know, because so, maybe one of our neighbors got something we didn't have. Or maybe we just, man, this prosperity stuff, you know, pastor's been preaching this, but it just doesn't work. Well, I'm going to get to that later. But anyway, God told us to be content. And then he says, um, verse 9, But they that will be rich fall, uh, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Now look what he says next. Fight the good fight of faith. He tells us to be content, but he doesn't tell us to ever quit fighting the good fight of faith. Amen. We need to keep our faith out there, even in our peace. We have peace every day with what we have today. We have peace, but we still have our faith out there on the line, fighting the good fight of faith. Now, going back to our original question, is money the root of all evil? No, the love of money is the root of all evil. Basically, if you really want to sum it up, what it says is, you know why Satan fell the root of all evil? He fell over money. 
He was lusting after, he wanted money. He wanted those riches. He wanted that glory. And he lusted after it. And that's the root of all evil. And, 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 and then we can take it another step. When you see evil in the world, when you see something that's not right, something goes wrong, I tell you, when you get to the root of it, it'll always be money. When you get down on it, on the surface, it may look like this. When you see a, 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 a split in a church, they may say it's because so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that, but when you get down to the root of that split and that evil, it is always over money. It's always over who's got the control of the money and somebody's wanting it that doesn't have it. Amen. Amen. So money, the love of money is the root of all evil. So if we love money, it's going to draw us into evil things, isn't it? Amen. And one way to make sure that we don't ever get money is over in the wrong position. You will never get money in the wrong position as long as you stay a giver. Amen. Okay, so let's go on. Now, <clears throat> um, I wanted to, let me say this just to give, because this was so good and I forgot to say it, but it says in that verse there, it says, hmm, in verse 10 where it says the love of money is root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith, I looked up that word covet and it means to desire or to stretch out after. If you begin to desire and love money and you begin to stretch out after it, you will fall or err from the faith. You will eventually fall from the faith. Um, and I tell you what, there's a misconception that we're going to be clearing up tonight that only the wealthy do this. That is far from the truth. Not just the wealthy do they covet and love money and stretch out after. Think about it. Get yourself in the right mind. Is it the wealthy that's going out with a gun and robbing convenience stores? Is robbing a convenience store stretching out after something and lusting after something and coveting it and loving something? Isn't that what it is? Loving money? And it's not usually the wealthy going out there doing it. So this is wealthy, and, and the wealthy do this sometimes. But I tell you, see, we have sometimes a misconception that it's only the wealthy people that sin. We're going to clear that up real good tonight. Okay, number three, another misconception. Is it impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God? No, okay, obvious answer is no. But let's go to Mark 10, and let's look and see, because we do have some scripture where Jesus comments on this. And we're going to look in Mark chapter 10. And if, if you, I'm not going to read all this, but beginning in verse 17, we know that uh, a rich young ruler came to Jesus. And he said, uh, uh, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus told him, you need to sell all you have. And Well, first of all, he told him to keep the commandments. And he said, I've done that since my youth. And he said, well, you need to sell all you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And uh, God, Jesus is trying to get him an opportunity. Jesus wasn't trying to rob him blind. Jesus was giving him an opportunity to be one of the 12 apostles. Duh. Jesus was picking his apostles right in here, and he gave this man. The Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. The love of God welled up in Jesus' heart. He looked at him, and he loved him. And he said, give away what you have. Sell what you have. Sow it, and come follow me. Because the man was very rich, he had businesses that encumbered him where he couldn't have followed Jesus. He had to get liquid. He had to follow in order to follow him. Amen. And so God, Jesus was giving him a marvelous opportunity. He could have, you know what the 12 apostles of the Lamb are doing right now? Does anybody know? They're sitting around the throne of God. He could have been sitting there. Now, you know, um, but he's not. Okay. Because he, we know, well, never mind, we'll go on. Um. Okay, so get on with my my thing here. In down here in verse, um, uh, in verse twenty three, then Jesus says, in answer to all this situation, and the and Jesus looked around about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. Now listen, they wouldn't have been real astonished if they was poor. The reason they were so astonished is because they all had money. 
See, religious tradition has taught us that Jesus and all his apostles was poorer than church mouses. Mice, whatever you say. Mouses. Mice. He was, they, that's what religion has taught us. Poor old Jesus. He was so poor. We're going to prove that wrong one night. But, and that the apostles were, well, why would they have been so astonished? It says they were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches. He clarified there. And said, uh, he, first he said that have riches, but then he clarified for him and he said, trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they, again, and they were astonished out of measure. It's like we cannot believe, Jesus, what you are telling us. Saying among themselves, this proves they're rich, who then can be saved? How are we going to be saved, Jesus? And he says, and Jesus looking upon them saith, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. You know, um, what Jesus is saying here, we're going to sum it all up, is it's hard for rich people to quit trusting in their riches. Now let me clarify this. If you got saved and born again, and you know, you're just a normal person money-wise, would say just average, and, and you get saved and you get born again and you get in a faith church and you begin to hear the prosperity message and then you begin to prosper by working the principles of the kingdom. There's a world of difference in that than someone who is rich and then all of a sudden they're presented with the gospel message and they believe in Jesus and they, they want to receive him and they want to, and they do. They pray the sinner's prayer and they receive him. But all of a sudden, this is, a, this is such a change for them. It's like all of a sudden, you know, I'm used to trusting in my riches. And Jesus said, it's hard for rich men who are used to trusting in their riches to enter into the kingdom of God or enter into God's system and God's way of doing things, God's way of doing and being right. It's hard for them to do that. Um, and... Um, one reason is because wealthy people grow accustomed to their purchasing power. They thought, oh, well, just, just buy one. Just, just, just buy one. You know? They grow, I mean, it's like, it's nothing. It's, you know, just buy one. Just, you know. And so they try to solve all their problems that way. Um, they, grow, they grow used to the prestige that money gives them. And all of a sudden, especially in a church like this, now some churches it may not be this way, but in a church like this, you come in with money and you're just like everybody else. We don't say, would you like to be a board member? No, honey, we all climb the ladder the same way around here. Faithful over a little, over a long, long time, master over much. <laughs> Amen. I mean, and, they, and it's like all of a sudden, they don't know what to do because they're used to buying people with their money. They're used to making people do what they want them to with their money. And all of a sudden, they found a preacher that can't be bought. And they're frustrated. Like, this is because it's all they know. It's the way it's all they know. And they're used to the influence their money brings. They're used to buying friends with their money. Amen. They're used to the status that their money gives them. And you know what? All these things that I'm telling you are very gratifying to the flesh. The flesh loves this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, they're in a system where it doesn't work, where God doesn't favor them because they have money. Amen? See, it's not how much you put, it's not how much you put in that offering plate, it's how much it's left in your pocket when you get through. That's what Jesus said. The widow that gave too much, she gave all that she had. He didn't care that it was like a, like two pennies. It's what's left when you get through. That God, and so God's, you know, pastor gets a thing from the accountant every month. Church gift, it's called. Big computer thing, a book. And it tells, okay, here's the givers, and here's what they gave, and here's the totals, and here's the delinquent givers, and... Don't ever get on the delinquent givers list. <laughs> that means you never gave all month. <laughs> I told them, Pastor, I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyway, but you know what? God doesn't say, oh, this is the biggest giver because this is the accountant says that, but God doesn't say that. God doesn't say that. He's going by what's left over in the account. 
And so somebody that gave $15 last month may have been the biggest giver in the church. And we're going to be so shocked when we get to heaven. And you're going to go, I was the biggest giver in that church. I know I was. Now we all ought to stretch. Hey, don't be satisfied with $15. God wants you to prosper. And if you gave it all and you didn't prosper, something's wrong. Amen? But God's gonna, there's going to be carpet, red carpet rolled out for some of the most unlikely people in heaven. Amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. So Jesus was not uh, discouraging being rich. He was just stating a fact of human nature here. And you know, so, so the rich man, it's hard for him to quit trusting his riches. But the poor man, he doesn't really have anything to lose, does he? So it's easy to quit trusting in that because didn't have anything to start with. So I think I'll put all my trust in God. And you know, really, probably most of us in here have, are either are in some level of that place where we've already figured out, hey, money can't buy me healing. <laughs> I've already been through a divorce. I already know money can't fix that. You know, I've already had a sick baby before that the doctor couldn't fix it. You know, so most of us already figured out we can't trust in that stuff, can we? Amen. Hallelujah. Doesn't mean it's not good to have it, but we can't put our trust there. Let's look in Psalm... Uh, no, let's go on. I'd rather go on. I, I, I could give you some more scriptures on that. No, I want to go to one of them. Okay, Psalm 62, verse 10. I had to look at that and see if the Holy Spirit wanted me to give it to you. Psalm 62, verse 10. Now, I have several scriptures here that all say basically the same thing. Not to trust in riches. But let's look at Psalm 62, 10. And I, and I know the Holy Ghost is really going to help you here tonight. Because, you know, none of us in here are intending to trust in riches. But you can be trusting in money and not even have much. And we're, or we can be fretting over money. And we're going to see that here in a minute. Psalm 62, verse 10. He says, Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. Listen to this. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. If, hey, riches are going to increase if you're a giver. Set not your heart upon them. Don't set your heart upon riches. Don't set your heart upon money. You know, here, I'm going to tell you the attitude you need to have towards money. And this will really set you free. It really helps me to have this attitude towards money. Here's my attitude towards money. There's more where that came from. I mean, you know, we can, you know, you, did your mom teach you don't cry over spilt milk? Did anybody in Alabama ever heard that saying? Okay. Don't cry over spilt milk. And, you know, sometimes we'll just fret over something. Oh, dear God, you know. And, you know, I think that when we waste, we ought to repent. You know, sometimes I've done this, buy a roast. You know, pay $15 for a roast. Y'all never done this? Put down that meat keeper in the bottom thing of your refrigerator. Somebody say, let's go out to eat. About six days later, you think of that roast? Boy, it's done gone wrong. I mean, it's wrong. <laughs> Pastor, I'm not going to tell y'all this, but he always says, oh, it'll be okay. And I'm going, no, we are not eating this. <laughs> it'll be okay. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so some, and they're like, no, we're throwing this out. But you know what? I repent when I waste. <laughs> I do. I say, oh, God, I don't want to waste. I do not want to be wasteful. I ask you to forgive me. But, you know, I just have this attitude of, oh, well, it's just money. There's more where that came from. Listen, if you're a giver, there's more where that came from. I mean, if you lose $10, there's more where that came from. You, you, somebody, you, you, can't find, you lost a $100 bill. There's more where that came from. Oh, and sometimes we can just let the devil just get us so worked up over. And, you know, there's more where that came from. Did you have a business deal that went sour? There's more where that came from. Amen. There's more where that came from. If you are a giver, you've got seed in the ground, and there is more where that came from. Y'all say that with me tonight. There's more where that came from. Uh, hallelujah. Just, just start harvesting. Amen. If you'll get in faith, you know, it'll be there. Okay. Um, let's go to the fourth misunderstanding. Jesus said the poor will be with us always. Now, did Jesus say that? Yeah, yeah he said it. This is not a trick question. You're going like, I don't know. He might be one word different. Uh, no, no, he said, you'll have the poor with you always. So um, we need to read that in Matthew chapter 6, 26, excuse me. Because we need to clear this up. Because some people read a lot of stuff into the fact 
that Jesus said you'll have the poor with you always. But just before we even read the scriptures, let's think about this. Logically speaking, without even reading the word of God, how can we help the poor if we don't have any money? Can we help the poor if we don't have any money? No. We couldn't be of help to them. So even just logically, just using our logic, not our common sense, we could figure out that God would want us to prosper just so we could help people. Because God's such a people person. He just loves people. Okay, Matthew 26, verse 6. It says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And when Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but want but me ye have not always. Now, you know, a lot of people read into this that prosperity, I mean, that poverty is something that God likes because he said the poor you'll have with you always. But actually, if you really analyze these scriptures here, um, it, Jesus was actually, he had just been anointed with a very costly ointment, and Jesus actually uh, justified prosperous living here. He actually justified having lavishness things, lavish things poured on us and said it wasn't wasteful to live in a lavish abundance into having nice and costly things on us. We can have nice perfume and, and costly bubble bath and it's not, it's, not being, it's not being wasteful, he says. Amen? And, and, there, and he gives us a reason for that. But first of all, let's clear this up. Let me ask you something. Of course, specifically, if you read this in other Gospels, it, the, you know, the specific person that was most indignant about this was Judas. Amen. Now, Judas didn't really care about the poor, did he? We know he didn't because he had his hand in the money bag. The Bible says he was stealing out of the money bag. What he cared about was the fact that if that money had been, that perfume had been sold, the money could have put in the money bag and he'd have had more to steal. See, when you, anytime you enter into a controversy and you have a problem, you get people offended and they're mad, money is the what? Root of all evil. The love of money. I said that wrong. Y'all wouldn't agree. I could tell y'all were just like, I'm not going to agree with that. The love of money is the root of all evil. Okay. So Jesus here, he states a matter of fact. He, he teaches us something matter of factly. He tells us we'll always have the poor with us. He, so what he tells us here is, you know what? No matter how much you do without and how much you give away, you will not ever be able to stamp out poverty. No matter how much you do without and how much you give away. If Bill Gates, is he the wealthiest man in the world? Or in the United States for sure? In the world? The whole world. Wealthiest man in the world. If he were to do complete with it, do without. He were, if he was to wear rags, if he was to live in a paper box, and, and if he was to give every bit of it away, he would not stamp out poverty. Because if you were to take money and you were to go to a poor man and you were to say, here, I am setting you up for life. I am, you, you are fixed. Here it is. You know, you will never want again. If that man is not renewed on the inside, he would, like a dog goes back to his vomit, he will go back to that poverty. Amen. Somehow, some way, that money will be gone. Amen. Amen. And he will go out back to that poverty. And so no one, you cannot stamp out poverty. You will always have the poor with you. And you see, there's a, there's a misconception that there's not enough to go around. When Oral Roberts built those uh, praying hands and put them in front of the city of faith, those bronze hands, how many have seen them in Tulsa? Not very many. I'm telling you, they are breathtaking. They take your breath away. They are so gorgeous and there's it's such a testimony and you know when the city of faith closed they picked those hands up and moved them somewhere on the on the oru campus they moved them i know that i don't know where they're at but i know they're there i've seen them and they moved those hands and you know the and, and he was persecuted you could have given that money to the poor instead it cost a million dollars a hundred million 
I don't know. Don't, we don't even guess. A lot of money is a million. Okay, a million dollars, but that was back a ways. That was like, what, 60s or 70s? And that was more, a million was more then than it is now. Anyway, it cost a lot of money, and he was so persecuted for that. But see, there is, a, there is wrong thinking in the religious community. It was religion that persecuted him. It wasn't the poor people. But, um, and here's the wrong thinking, is that there's not enough to go around. But you know what? There is enough for both. There is enough for both. Now, it's wrong for us to lavish ourselves and not give. And some people, you know, they put dressing their kids and having the little right bows in the hair and all that kind of stuff. They put all of that above giving. Amen. And then they give, you know, their two copper mites. And, you know, and they spend more on that. More than they give on their little girl hair bows. Or their, or their little shoes. Or, and, you know, or, or something. And that's wrong. That's wrong. That's, that's, we got our priorities out of line, don't we, when we do that. Our, our giving, our, but, but it is not wrong. There's enough for both. See, that's the misconception. And that's how you prosper, is you begin to put your giving above your abundant living. You put your tithe above your food and, and raiment. If, if we're going to tithe if we don't eat. Because we don't, and the reason we can say that is because we know that if we put God first in the tithe, that we will never do without food and clothing and shelter. Amen. We know it. We know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And besides, we've proved it. We've proved it. But we put, and, but then. We tithe, and then we meet our basic needs. But then we give, and our giving is beyond. It goes before our abundant living. Amen. And if you don't, you'll have your abundant living, but you'll have no harvest. And eventually, your abundant living will come up against a, a rock somewhere. You'll get up against a hard spot. But if you'll put your giving above your abundant living, there will be no end to your ability to live in abundance. And you've always got to keep seed out there. You can't just, you've got to keep seed going. You got, that's why a pastor encourages you, you know, to give all the time, to give in every service, to, you know, just keep that harvest coming. Keep it going, 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 keep it going. Because it's always out there ahead of me. It's always out there ahead of me. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Okay. So, um, you can't... Um, You'll always have the poor, but he, God, Jesus was stating a fact. He was not stating God's will that people be poor. Okay, number five. Boy, we are covering ground tonight. Is God sovereign when it comes to prospering people? Now, some people have an attitude or a belief system that says that God chooses to prosper certain people. And sometimes it goes something like this. God prospers those he can trust. Which really says if you're not prospering all you want, that God really can't trust you. And it's really not true. There's people that don't have money that are some of the most trustworthy people in the world. Amen? And so, but a lot of people believe that wealth is God's providential blessing. In other words, when we say it's providence, we mean it's just, you know, it's just ordained in heaven. That God just ordained you to be wealthy and He ordained you not to be. And He ordained you to be kind of halfway, you know, semi-well off. And that God did all this ordaining of who would be wealthy or not. And it has, it, 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 that could, nothing could be further from the truth. Some people believe that being poor is a sign of spirituality. And that that is God's sovereign blessing. That God blessed you by making you poor and making you very spiritual. <laughs> and that nothing could be further than the truth. Amen? Okay, God states His will in His Word, and He will not violate or contradict that Word by exercising sovereign power. Now, I feel led to clear up something. Gene Hollis said when he was here, God is sovereign. But then he went on to explain what he meant, and that was that, uh, that, that God had limited it, uh, His own sovereignty and that is true. Other people say it different. You know, I know Pastor Webb says it this way. God is only sovereign in heaven. 
You know, we've taught you before, God is not sovereign. But just to clear up, if you got confused by that, basically he's saying the same thing that we said. Because he's saying God is so God was sovereign, and he was over everything. God made the rules. And he decided what the... He, he bound himself to this word. And he will never, ever break this word. No matter how much we want him to, you can fast and pray till the cows come home. And he will not violate his word. He will never contradict his word. But And you say, Debbie, this is just a no-brainer. But you don't know how many people are praying, asking God to do something that would be in violation of his word. And he will never do it. He will never answer their prayer. And there are millions of Christians praying and asking him to violate his word. Some of them through ignorance because they don't know his word. And some of them because they think God's sovereign. He can do anything he wants to. No, he can't. He can't. He could have. In the beginning, he could have set it up any way he wanted to. But he said, I'm going to set down the rules. This is the Bible. I'm going to lay down the, uh, the principles. I'm going to put the word in place. And that's how I'll operate. And I'll never deviate from it. It says heaven and earth might pass away. But not this. Amen. Oh, thank heaven. It's a solid rock we can build our life on. It's not something that he's thinking one way today and another way tomorrow. And the rules are always changing on us. It never changes. I can build my life on it. That's why I can tithe in confidence. That's why I can know if God said that he's never seen the righteous forsaken and his seed begging for bread, bless God, the righteous have never been forsaken and their seed have never been begging for bread. And I can, the only way that I can get that not to work is by believing opposite to that. Amen? So you can have utmost confidence. Totally secure. Completely secure. Just walking out on the Word. You walk, every time you walk on the Word, you walk on the water. Because that's all Peter walked on was the Word that Jesus spoke to him. Come. Jesus, Peter didn't really walk on H2O. He walked on that Word. And the minute he quit believing it, he started sinking, didn't he? So we know it didn't have anything to do with H2O. He walked on the Word. And every time you walk on the Word, every time you step out on that Word, you walk on water. Amen? Praise God. So God is not sovereign when it comes to prospering people. God gives guidelines for prosperity in His Word. And we have a responsibility to walk according to that plan. To the degree we do, we will be blessed. God works for the most... His promises work by the if and then principle. Do you know the if and then principle? His promises are usually something like this. If you do this, then I will do this. And we have to get the if and thens working in our life. We got to do the ifs so God can do the thens. Amen. If you will do this, then I will do this. If you will tithe, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. I will open the windows of heaven if you do it. Now it's important that we believe too. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, and y'all know this verse well. What does it say? It says, uh, well, i got to turn there because I, I want to get it all. I can quote it, but I can't quote through verse 19, and I want to read that far. He says, uh, no, let's see, where am I? Starting in verse uh, Deuteronomy 30, 15. I'm going to start up a little higher. He said, um, See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. Let me tell you something about that word good before we go on. That word good could equally be translated prosperity. Because sometimes when, the, when that word in the Hebrew is used, it is translated prosperity. So it could read this way. See, I have set before you this day life and prosperity. 
and death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away, and worship other gods, and serve them, I denounce unto you this day, that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou passest over Jordan, to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey his voice and that thou mayest cleave unto him for he is thy life and the length of thy days. So this is not sovereignty at all, is it? God's not choosing for us, is he? Who's he letting choose? He told us to choose. Amen. And we're the ones doing the choosing. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now let's go on to something else. Let's get number six. The Bible says not to desire poverty nor riches. And how many of you have ever heard that scripture? Proverbs chapter 30. Let's clear up Proverbs chapter 30 tonight. The Bible says not to desire poverty nor riches. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 1. Now, some of these arguments you may never have heard. Some of them you may have. But, you know, it's good to clear these things up because as you're reading through the Bible in a year, as you surely are going to, you're going to run upon these scriptures. And you're going to go, what? And so you'll already have the answer before you get there. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 1. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithiel, even to Ithiel, and you call. Surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom, nor have the knowledge of the holy. Who hath ascended up into heaven, or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name, if thou canst? tell. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lives. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. So here we have this King Agur, and he says, Don't give me either poverty or riches. And I've heard people actually quote this verse. I've actually heard people use this verse. Uh, don't give me poverty or riches, because if I have too much riches, I might deny the Lord. Or if I have too much poverty, I might steal. But I tell you, there's a big clue up in the first verses there, and actually beginning in verse 2. He says about himself, he describes himself as brutish, having no understanding, and no knowledge of God. Now the word there, brutish, means concretely stupid. I looked this up. Concretely stupid, foolish, like cattle. Let me ask you something. I think he's right, don't you? If he already knows that he is so stupid that he is just like a cow, I think he prayed the right prayer. Don't give me anything, God. I'm stupid. Listen, the only way you want to get in agreement with this verse is if you agree with verse 2. That you are brutish, you are concretely stupid, you're just like a cow, you are foolish, you don't have any wisdom, and you have no knowledge of God. To a man that was like that, yeah, he might do something stupid like get riches and deny the Lord or be so poor that, that he'd go off and, and, and rob a convenience store and get put in jail for 15 years. And uh, yeah. But, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not verse 2 and 3, are you? Amen. I'm not verse 2 and 3. I, I don't care how much riches I get, I'm not going to deny the Lord. Amen. I tell you, I've done, he's already done too much for me like we sang tonight. He's already healed my body too many times. I mean, he's he he healed me. I was I, I was not. I didn't. I wasn't filled with the Spirit. I was saved. I wasn't filled with the Spirit. Didn't know him as healer. Hadn't didn't just just kind of hearing about these things about the Spirit-filled life. And and my mom owned the florist, and it was homecoming, and we were we were up to our eyeballs and homecoming mums. 
And, uh, and I mean, making mums. And all of a sudden, I started having an allergic reaction to God knows what. Nobody ever knew what was. And I'm telling you, my throat started closing down on the inside. And, and I just got in the car and drove. You know, it's a little town. Just get in the car and run down to the clinic. And they took, they took a, a, a shot of Benadryl. And I mean, when I told them my throat's kind of, I didn't even know it was serious. I was that dumb. You know, I was like, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting these whelpy spots on me. And, and my throat's shutting down. Then they jerked me out of that waiting room, get me in the back and got a shot of Benadryl in the vein, in the artery, right in the artery. And, and you know, and that all that went down. And I had to do that three or four times. And my little grandmother, she came over and she said, and she called me on the phone. She said, and she's filled the spirit, but you know, we were thinking she's crazy. And so, um, and she called me, she said, can I come pray? And I'm just doing this over and over and over again. I swell up, they give me a shot. I swell up, they give me a shot. And it's like over about three day period, I've got uh, three or four of those shots. She said, can I come pray for you? And I said, Yeah. You know, I didn't have a clue if it would work or anything, but you know, I didn't like the situation. So she came over, laid hands on me and prayed for me. And guess what? God healed, never happened again. Don't know what it was. Don't know what caused it. God doesn't heal me. God doesn't heal Colin of a broken arm. He was six or seven years old, riding the bicycle one night down the sidewalk, fell and, and cried all night with his arm. And so the next morning we took him to the doctor and they x-rayed him and they said, yeah, it's cracked. Come back Monday and we'll put a cast on. They put it in a sling. And you know what? We started, but you know, we was, by this time we were spirit filled and we knew the word. We just spoke that scripture, that actually the scripture that speaks of Jesus. He keepeth all our bones and none of them are broken. We just kept speaking that scripture and we, and you know, here's how much we believe. We just went ahead and left and went to camp meeting, left him with my mother. She said, I'll take care of it. I'll take him to Dr. Monday. She took him over there. They x-rayed it again. Two doctors had looked at the x-rays. He is healed. He had no crack in his arm. He didn't have no broken arm. God healed his arm. He had a broken arm. God healed his arm. Listen, I've already, he's already done too much for me. There wouldn't matter how much money he gave me or I got. I wouldn't deny the Lord. Amen? And you wouldn't either. He's already done too much for you. Amen? And you've already found out that even though you want to prosper, that God has given you a desire in your heart to prosper, that you already know that there is nothing sweeter than God speaking to you and the move of the Holy Ghost and your relationship to Him. I mean, there is nothing in this world like hearing the voice of God. There's no money. Amen. You know, and I might get some money and I might get excited for a day or two. And, you know, I might just have, you know, I might just spend two days shopping. But, you know, but you know what? It wouldn't be long till I'd want to come home and get my Bible. I'm not going to deny the Lord. Amen. And, you know, if he gave me money and I did go spend two days shopping, I wasn't going, I'm not going to be buying drugs and dope and, and, uh, and uh, whiskey and, and uh, cigarettes and, and you know, and, and uh, I don't know what else is even out there. I'm not going to be buying that. You know, if I, when I got that money, you know what would be on my heart. In fact, I've already got it all planned out. Hey, I already know what I'm going to buy. Oh, I already decided this person I'm going to give this. And this person I'm going to give that. And this person, this is what I'm, you know. That's what you're going to do with your money. That's what you're going to do. When God prospers you. Amen. Praise God. And if it's not, we'll make the adjustment. Well, if you, you know what? If it's not, you don't even have to worry. You don't even have to worry. It won't be coming. If it's not right inside, it's not right and it won't be coming. Amen. But I'll tell you something. You're right inside. You didn't put this word in you for years for no reason. Well, we didn't get through. So I guess we'll have to go next week. I was going to go to motives next week for prosperity. But we got to finish this because, I mean, I tell you, I got some good stuff for you. But it's time to stop. It always comes fast. Hallelujah. Let's stand up together.